I am Emily Lyons. In 2009, without a high school degree and no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. But since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be lifted and shifted by these people too. After all, all inspiring people are inspired people. So get ready to be inspired. This is Mind Your Business. Well, welcome. I'm so happy that you could join me. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we finally got to sort of meet in person <laughs> after all this time. I feel like we're friends. I'm like, oh, I've never actually met her. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. We're internet friends. That's but right. <laughs> you do so many things. You know, like when you go down the path, you are a woman who wears many, many hats. But how do you how do you introduce yourself? How do you describe yourself? I guess the biggest hat I would say is that I'm a productivity consultant and professional organizer. That's the jam. And then just so many things fall out of categories from there or in the same category. I don't know. It depends. I feel like I can put the productivity consultant into anything I do. (laughs) (laughs) And so you've got, you launched the Tidy Moose. That's your company. How does one get into the cleaning industry? Because it's such a niche industry. (laughs) It is. And even when I started, it was even more so. So I used to be an elementary school teacher. Oh, yeah, for many, many years, like se- I think seven, seven, eight years, somewhere around there. And I started to, like my first year, I did what every teacher did. Like you buy all the posters, you get all the things and your classroom looks like a rainbow vomited everywhere. And I was like, I was like, I don't feel comfortable in this space. I know my students don't feel comfortable in this space. And so the following year, I took down a bunch of things and I tried to make it a little bit more natural. And each year, kind of as I learned and grew, I learned that less is more. And so I started to see the correlation between my students' developmental growth and organization and minimalism in the classroom. So the more organized we were, the less clutter there was in the classroom, the better they were learning. And so then other teachers would say, hey, can you help me set up my classroom? And it kind of went from there. And then parents were asking me to come into their homes and help with their homes because they're like, my child is doing so well in your classroom, but then they come home and they're stressed out and they don't know why. And so when I put those puzzle pieces together, I thought, you know what? A, I want to work for myself. I mean, I don't need to explain this to you that the many reasons why working for yourself has so many benefits, but also it was like, I can help more kids doing it this way. Yeah. So I launched the business in the summer thinking, oh, I'll do just summers and then still teach. And then I thought, no, I love this. I love being able to help not just kids, like it turned into everything. I'm just able to help anyone who's struggling. And many people don't know the reason why. And a lot of times it's cluttered. There's that saying, a decluttered space equals a decluttered mind. And so once you're able to hone in on that, then so many other pieces fall into place. And I love seeing that for my clients. It's just like the happiest day. Every day is the happiest day. Wow. So you just go in and you just organize everything. I actually, so I'm like more like a personal trainer. So I work with the clients and I teach them so that they're doing it so they can maintain it. Yeah. If I did it for them, they'd be like, okay, well, great. And then in two weeks, I'd have to come back. Yeah. Beautiful business model, I guess, but that's not really, (laughs) my goal is more to help the people who are struggling. And by teaching them to do it, they're able to hang on a little bit longer. Like there've been times where I've had to come back two, three years later and say, you know, Ivanka, we need to get back on track and I can help them. And then they're okay for another three years. And to me, that's success. I feel like this should be a must for entrepreneurs because I think that's so 
so many of us are just so all over the place. Yeah. Well, because we all, like yourself, we wear so many hats. Yeah. Because you think you have to at the beginning. You're like, oh, I must do all the things and no one else can do it as well as I can. And like you slowly learn, you're like, oh, someone can do it better while yeah. I'm napping. So this is great. <laughs> How long have you had the tiny moose? It's been seven years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. It feels like two, but it's been, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> and uh, you do advocacy. I saw that you publish books, which I didn't know. So you're an author. You do. I, I am. Speaking, you go on the social and do public appearances. You do a lot of things. What would you say kind of is Tidy Moose your main focus and the rest just kind of complements it? I think it depends on the year. Um, <laughs> the last, as you know, the last year and a half I was in Ukraine. So that became my full on focus. But in terms of like real life, everyday life, yes, Tidy Moose is the main thing at the moment, but I'm getting more, I'm trying to shift more into the public speaking part of it. Cause I really enjoy that. Cause you can hit so many more people and affect so many more people than just the five clients you're working with or the one client you're working with. Like you've got a room of a thousand people. And then I just watch their faces and you can see the light bulbs go on and they're like, Oh my gosh, yes, I've been struggling with that. And this girl understands me and there is a solution. And like that feeling of being able to help more, that's kind of where I'm, I'm starting to branch off at the moment, like starting to expand that more. So it was ramped up before COVID and then COVID hit and, you know, the world shut down. So there were no speaking gigs. There were like the Zoom thing started to pick up and whatever. But, you know, I used to speak on stages to thousands of people. And now it's like, and now you're in your house on your computer. When you go on stage, what do you tell people? What gives them that aha moment? So I'm a mental health advocate. So I talk a lot about the mental health component of how decluttering helped me with my mental health struggles. Depends on who the group is. Like there's different markets where you teach different things too. Like if I'm talking to law offices downtown, I don't really talk so much about my mental health because they don't care. They want to know the bottom yeah. line, how to make more money, right? And so that's why I go into that part of it. If I'm doing a more motivational bit, then I talk about the mental health. If I'm doing, I did one for Google a few months back where they wanted to talk about the environmental component to decluttering an organization. And so that was kind of my jam there. I do a lot of environmental talks about that because a lot of the world thinks, okay, I need to declutter. So that means I'm just going to throw everything out. And I'm like, whoa, there's a whole planet we need to think about. If we had to throw our garbage on our own lawns, people would be a lot more careful of where their stuff goes. But we don't. We throw it on the side of our road and then someone takes it away to some magical, mystical land, they think. But no, it ends up in other countries where kids are climbing on garbage piles. So it's like trying to become conscious of our consumption is a huge thing. So I do talk a lot about that. But yeah, it just depends on where I'm speaking and what the general theme of the talk is. What do you say for people to get started with what to declare? What are some of your core recommendations? Start small. It's very overwhelming. So if you're thinking, I don't even know where to begin, start with your nightstand. Like the little small drawer beside your nightside table because you probably access that daily. I access mine every morning, every night when I take my vitamins or whatever. And, you know, you put your hand cream on before bed or, you know, all those things. That should be organized. And then when you do that, you're like, oh, I feel so good. Maybe tomorrow I'll tackle my dresser or, you know, bigger things, maybe a pantry or something and like get that snowball rolling and then it'll turn into something bigger. Could turn into a monster like myself. I have OCD and now I'm like, ah, everything must be lined up. But, you know, to each their own and don't let anyone tell you what your space should look like. You should feel comfortable in your space. 
And I think that's the biggest thing because sometimes people do what they think it's supposed to look like. Oh, I must live in a magazine. Oh, I must do this. I must decant all my cereals. You don't have to. If your cereal boxes don't bother you and you know exactly where they are, then live with the cereal boxes. You know, no one lives in a magazine. Even the people whose houses are in magazines, I can tell you because I set it up and then we take the photos and then I go put everything else back in that wasn't in the photo. You know, like, so people are really hard on themselves, I think. And I think people need to not be really like do what works for you. And how do you know when to, this is something that I struggle with is to know when to donate something. So like I'll pull all my clothes down and be like, I'm going to donate a bunch of stuff. And then I put it all down. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Might I like it next year? (laughs) Yeah. So the way I do work with clothing, and that's usually the first category because the way I work, I was a KonMari consultant. So I was trained under Marie Kondo. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah, I was the first Canadian consultant, actually, who reached like the master level. I say was because I just no longer pay the fees to, because I'm like, why am I paying $500 a month to just be on a website that no one ever hired me from? So I'm technically Mm -hmm. not one anymore, but you don't lose what you learn. But with the KonMari method, you do it by category, not location. So clothing is the very first category. So to your question, you know, you pull all the clothes out everywhere. If you've got clothes in the upstairs, downstairs, Sometimes you have clothes in your car, pull it all out, put it on your bed. You have to feel that overwhelm of, oh my gosh, like we all said this, I have nothing to wear as you're looking at a pile of stuff that you certainly are able to wear. And then you pick out, what I do is I say, pick out your favorites. The ones that you're like, Ivanka, I'm going to fight you on this. You are not taking that neon pink blazer from me. And then you put those things back in your closet and you have your like 100%, this is not leaving put those in your closet. And then all the maybes, have a look at them and say, you know what? Mm, Maybe not. Because if I didn't love it enough to fight Ivanka for it, and as I open my closet right now, I see only the pieces that I love. Those are the ones you're going to go for anyway, whether you shove those other ones back or not, right? So it's a subconscious decision of like, you do it so quickly. Don't think too much about it. See the result and then realize, okay, the rest of this stuff, maybe I didn't need. Mm -hmm. There there are only seven days in a week, right? Whether you have a billion dollars or $5, there are only so many clothes you can wear. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good rule of thumb for anyone, no matter how many clothes you have. There are only seven days in a week. Donated anything and then regretted it. So if you do, like what happens? Like what? Because I have, I'm like, ah, there was like a Halloween two years ago where it was like a flapper theme or something. And I had this old dress and I was like, oh, I gotta go grab that dress. And I realized I donated it. And like for two seconds, I was bummed. And then life moved on. Like no one died. You know, I didn't get some sort of disease because I donated this dress. It's like you have that two second feeling of, well, would have been cool to have this dress, but it's not the most important thing in life. And so you get over it pretty quickly. And then that makes your decision making moving forward a lot easier too. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to bring it back to Ukraine because you are Ukrainian. I am. Yeah. Were you born in Ukraine? No, I was born here, but our community is a very, very tight knit community. I mean, it's more obvious to the world now why for years Russia has been trying to eliminate us as a people. So when my grandparents all came over after World War II, they, much like every other Ukrainian grandparent who came over from the war, they built their little communities here. And like my first language was Ukrainian. We go to Ukrainian church. We go to Ukrainian dancing. Like every day of the week, there's something Ukrainian. And we've got that really strong sense of community. And it's funny because, I mean, my name's Ivanka. That's not a name like Sarah or Emily or, you know, it's not a common Canadian name. 
So when people would ask me growing up, what are you? I'd say, oh, I'm Ukrainian. They're like, oh, you were born there? I'm like, no, I was born in Canada. They're like, you're a Canadian. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I <laughs> Like as a kid, I just couldn't understand. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm Canadian. I'm Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. And so how you've been going back and forth and actually helping out during the war. Yeah. When I went over that first week of war, it was one of those things, like every Ukrainian in the world, there's not a single Ukrainian that I know who was not sitting up and watching the news those first like few days. Like that's all we did. We were consumed with this horror, really. And I realized, you know, many of the people who wanted to go over, who want, like, I think every one of my friends wanted to jump on a plane and say, let's go help. Because these are our friends. These are our family. Like I would travel there many times beforehand, but many of them couldn't because they're married. They had kids. They had a nine to five. One of my buddies, poor guy, he had just, not poor guy in a sense, he had just had a baby like three weeks earlier. He would have been on that plane. And I know he was really struggling with that. And so I realized, well, I'm my own boss. I have the ability to go. I have the time. Like I'll go over for a few weeks and just help out wherever I can because I don't know war. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I called my best friend over there and said, like, listen, I'm coming to help you. Let me know what you need. I will bring it, you know, do whatever. And that's kind of how that started. And I didn't think that I would end up a year and a half going back and forth, but that's what it turned into. Two weeks turned into three months. And then, cause you can go for three months at a time and then you have to come home. And obviously I still had to work cause I had a business and I had to pay my way. I wasn't relying on other people to pay my way. You know, when you're a volunteer, you got to pay for stuff. I was collecting donations for Ukrainian, like for the cause. And my followers had been amazing with that. Even there were a few who paid my flights a couple of the times going over, which was just, I was beyond grateful for that. But in terms of having to fund myself, that had to come from somewhere. So I would come home, work for a couple of weeks and then go back. And I did that until that friend passed away a few months ago in June, the one that I had been helping and And I realized I needed to step back. There's a lot about war that obviously messes you up as a person. And I was still doing it because I was like, hey, I promised him I would help him so his kids would have a dad at the end of all this. And then when that ended, I was like, okay, I'm not, I was already not doing well mentally with some things that I'd seen. And that was like, hey, you need to know when to step back. And that was kind of, so this summer was the last time I went out there. And he died in the war? He died fighting? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm so sorry. Like, it's been a journey. Wow. And I think that people envision and they picture it so much different, you know, so. Yeah. You know, even Ukrainians who watch this intently and are like, hey, I know what's going on over there. You have no idea. Like, I can't even begin to explain how different it is than what you see on the news. Like, there's a smell to war. That's something I never would have thought of. Like, there's difference. There's a taste. Like, when bombs go off, you can taste, like, the burning. Like, when all your other senses are heightened. It makes it obviously such a different feeling. Like when a bomb goes off so many meters away, your whole insides vibrate. Like you feel like you've kind of exploded from the inside out. Like it's a really bizarre feeling that no one should ever have to experience. And you watch it on the news and you think, wow, this is horrific, but you're really only seeing it and maybe hearing it. Yeah. And it's not even, I don't know, it just doesn't do it justice. And so I'm watching all this horror going on in the world, not just Ukraine. Obviously, there are many other areas where this is happening right now. And you think, how is the world just sitting and watching? Yeah. But then at the same time, you're like, who is going to fix this? Who is it up to to fix this? And then, then you start spiraling that way, right? Like, 
I don't know. Did you ever feel like you were in danger there? Oh, every day. Yeah. And it's funny because this has come to my attention recently because I'm very open about my mental health struggles. That is like, I, I'm a mental health advocate. I talk about this all the time. There was a time where my face was on a giant billboard that said, not suicide, not today. And I was like, whoa, I remember going on a first date with my ex and we drove by the billboard. I'm like, oh, there's something I got to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very open about that. But a lot of people, because of that, a lot of people thought that I went over there to die. Oh my God. That was a, yeah, that was a very, like I was insulted at first. And then I realized, well, I guess I can understand that because I have talked about my failed suicide attempts in the past. Like I have a podcast where I talk about my mental health struggles. Like, but I guess the one thing for anyone listening, if I could explain is that I am a person first and then I have mental health struggles. But what has happened when I share my mental health struggles is that people, like I've turned into like suicide girl or mental health girl. Like I'm not Ivanka anymore. And so when I went over to Ukraine, people are like, oh, we just assumed you went over there to die. And I'm like, oh my God, like that couldn't be further from the truth. Like I took every precaution to not die so much so that other volunteers were making fun of me. Like you don't always need to wear your bulletproof vest. You don't always. And I was like, listen, I'm doing what I need to do to stay safe and to not become a liability to other people. Like I 100% legitimately went there to help Because when I see children dying and I'm moving child corpses and I'm like having to deal with like the last thing I want is to be a liability for these people because I die. Then what they have to figure out how to get my body back to Canada. Like there's all these other components that are thrown in there. So I took every safety precaution. I even before I left, I spoke to many military buddies of mine who are in the U.S. and Canadian militaries, you know, like just to learn different things of different techniques of like, okay, what if there's X, Y, Z that happens? What do I do? And there was a woman who trains females in the military self-defense. She came to my apartment and she taught me self-defense so that I could teach women on the front lines who are in these towns to like get away from the Russians who are coming in and raping them and their children. And like, it was just such a surreal thing. So for me to hear people say, oh, we just thought you went over there because you wanted to die. I was like, I wanted to scream. But yeah, I guess how else would they know that that's not why I, I don't know that you say that because one of my best friends, Brian, he's Ukrainian and his family from there wanted him to come over and fight with the idea that he would fight to the death. And that was what they said. And because he's older and he was like, he has a lot of responsibilities here. He takes care of his two brothers that are older than him. And he was like, I'm not ready to go over there to die. Like, and he felt torn and they were angry with him that he wouldn't. But that was like, we're asking him to come over and fight to the death. Yeah. And it's funny because I was willing to die for it because obviously where I was, I was right on the front lines. Like I was right where all of this is happening. I wasn't sitting in the West, like sipping tea, like someone said. They're like, oh, Ivanka's just probably out there sipping tea in Lviv. I'm like, okay, loser. So I was prepared to die. I didn't want to. So, you know, there is a fine line there of, you know, you understand this is war. I was not naive by any means. But you better believe that I was wearing my vest and my helmet and doing all the things all the time, like making sure that I got out of there so that I could keep helping people. How did your family feel about that? Well, it was actually them who brought up the whole, well, we just thought you went over there to die. I was like, oh, thank you. People had opinions. There's no way I would have ever listened to them. And they know that. So none of them shared them (laughs) at the time. And my mother, who passed away a few years ago from cancer, she used to travel to Ukraine after the Chernobyl nuclear disaster to work with orphans. So I know if she was alive, she would have been on that plane with me. Because someone even tried to say like, oh, what would your mother say? I'm like, first of all, don't you 
outsider try to spin this? Like, yeah. what would my mother say? She'd be right there with me. The first thing she would have said is, pack your vitamin C, Ivanka. It's winter over there. Like, she, <laughs> I love that. You know, she would have been there. And so I think, I don't think there's a single person who could have argued that point. And they're like, okay, well, this is just something Ivanka has to do. And I wasn't just doing it for myself. I wasn't doing it for myself at all. I was doing it for not just my family and friends, but the friends and family of everyone else who couldn't go over because so many other people wanted to go. But I can understand why you can't leave your four-year-old kid or your three-week-old child. So it's like, well, I, for lack of better words, am dispensable in that department. Like, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just the reality of like, it is what it is. And so go and do it because someone needs to do it. Yeah. Well, it was brave and incredible when I saw that I was like, just blown away that you were that brave to do that and <laughs> selfless. It was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you like, and something that I, that really caught me over the years about you was just how open you are on social media about your struggles. Like you make it a point to be like, this isn't just a success story. I have struggles and you talk about it. I mean, I remember when you got hacked and someone took over your accounts and you were so transparent with it and be like, was like, I am struggling. And you put that out there. And I just love that about you because it helps so many people. And how do you do it? (laughs) I think because of what I do, I go into people's homes and they are like, your home is your vulnerable, your safe space. Yeah. And my job is to come into your safe space. So you're not just going to let anyone come in and fold your underwear. You know, like this is a very vulnerable job that I do. And so I realized very quickly, because I never used to have social media before my business. I had nothing, not Facebook, not like nothing. So I I started to do the Instagram thing. I started to do all the things. And I realized, okay, if you want people to trust you, you have to give them a reason to trust you. You have to let them know you. And there was a client, you know, like many people, when you start a business, you do all the photo shoots, you do all all the fancy things to make it look like you're successful. You know, you know the game. And then there was a woman, I rang her doorbell and I showed up to organize and she did this huge sigh of relief. I said, oh, hello. She goes, thank God. I said, what? She goes, I thought you were going to show up here in a little white dress and heels. And I was like, oh no, because that's what I was portraying. Like, look at me. I'm a, I'm a home organizer. I am like Tinkerbell, you know, like little fairy (laughs) with a wand and I realized that's not what people want. Like this woman hired me because she needed someone. And at that time there weren't, I think I I might've been like one of five organizers in Toronto at that time. And that was like an aha moment of people don't want to see how good your life is. They want to see the truth and where you started, how where you are now and how you got there because they want the help. And so I slowly started to share little bits and pieces a little bit more of myself. And I realized you know, for me, it's not about the amount of followers. It's about the quality of followers that I have. And I've built this little community for myself that I started focusing more on those that I had and having the conversations and the amount of people who will reach out to me and say, you know, I know you don't know me, but my daughter suffers from mental illness. Can she chat with you? Like, because for a lot of people, everyone knows someone with mental health struggles, whether they know it or not. Not everyone knows someone who's willing to talk about it. So I kind of became that person for a lot of people. And then I realized that vulnerability is about helping other people and making sure that they feel seen. Because as you know, the social media world can be all kinds of things where people open up their phone, they scroll, and then they feel bad about themselves. And I don't ever want someone to feel badly about themselves because of how I portray 
myself. Yes, I need to show that I am successful and that I'm professional and all those things, but I'm a human first. Kind of like what I said before, I'm not mental illness girl, I'm Ivanka. And that's what people need to see. And I would say almost all of my clients who've hired me, hired me because of that. They said, I needed someone to come into my home who wasn't going to judge me. And I knew you weren't going to judge me. And that's like one of the greatest compliments someone can give me, right? That's really important. I know a lot of people, I have a community called The Lion's Den and it's a lot of entrepreneurs. And that's one of the things they struggle with is showing up authentically as themselves. And so I think that's a really good point. That's why people hire you because of who you are, because of those struggles. And when you got hacked, what happened? So I had suspicions of what happened and now I am 100% certain of what happened. So earlier that week, I had done a presentation, a virtual presentation in Moscow. And if you, I'm sure now you know the Ukrainian-Russian struggles, like I would stay clear, like we grew up being afraid of Russians, all Russians here, anywhere. So when you see a Russian name or you hear Russian, you're like, no, like, don't do this. This is bad. Kind of like Jews and Germans. Like this was like, you're not going to see many of those meshing. And this group reached out and said, said, we're the professional organizers of Russia. And we'd love to have you come and speak at our event in Moscow. And I was like, wow, like... I went back and forth. I'm like, I don't know. Like, should I, like, is this a trick and whatever? And I ended up doing it because I said, you know, Ivanka, you can't carry on generations of hate. Like it has to stop somewhere. And I thought I am being the bigger person. And it was, so I think that in that, because what they didn't just hack my social media, they hacked everything. They hacked my bank accounts. They hacked, like it was all, they did everything. And I think about it. I was on a Zoom call with these people for, over an hour because I did an hour presentation and then half an hour of questioning. And in that time, just things were just disappearing. And it was, whether it was that organization, I can't say it was that that part was a trap, but you know, the hacker world is very, like, it doesn't have to be those people. It just has to be someone in Russia who's on the network to be like, oh, let's attack this girl. But there's no doubt in my mind that passwords or logins or anything. Did they, I'm sorry. Did you give them any of your logins? No, 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 not at all. But if they were on my net, like they could hack through the network if we're on a call. It's very easy to do. I've learned a lot about hacking since because of the war, but it's a lot easier to do than... They could just do that from a Zoom call? Oh, yeah. They could do it without a Zoom call. Like I then went down a rabbit hole of on TikTok of hackers and they explain how they do things. And I was blown away in the area of war. Like you're watching your guys use a drone... And then all of a sudden the drone gets hacked and it's like, you're like, oh my God, how, like it is beyond anything I could ever imagine. So I want to be very clear that I don't think it was the organization that I was speaking for yeah, who did this, but I 100% know that it was a relation to that because I've never had a problem like this. And it was like, they went for the jugular. Even when I went to Apple and said, look, at they cleared the cloud, like they cleared everything. And they're like, we've never seen this before. Wow. It was horrific. For um, a magazine and uh, one of the top magazines, and they did an editorial on a figure from Ukraine. And shortly after the war began, and he, everybody in the organization was getting threats, security threats, all kinds of stuff. And they had to bring in all these people. And like, yeah, he was saying how scary it was. Yeah. And they're so smart. Like you think like, how can they do that? And they could be doing it right now. Let's hope not, but it could be, you know. So did you get your accounts back and your money back? And 
I mean, at that time I was, it was right after COVID. So I was poor. (laughs) They they didn't take a lot. So the bank's like, we feel sorry for you that you only had this much in this. So we'll just give it back to you. So that wasn't a problem. Some of my accounts, I did not get back. Some uh, my Instagram, I did get back because I found a hacker who could get it back. And it's just like, like that whole hacker world is just mind blowing to me. But a lot of stuff I did lose. Like there was pictures of my mom, videos of my mom that I never got back. And I think that's the part, as you know, is the hardest. It's like, that's all you have. And I'm yeah. like, just, you could take the money. I'll give you the 10 grand back. I just want that video of my mom, like where we were sitting and like laughing, you know, like stuff like that. That's where it really hurts. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. That is just, what a story. I mean, the life that you've lived. <laughs> yes, it's it's been exciting, I guess. Not boring, we'll say that. Boring, that's for <laughs> sure. More books in the works, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I just wanted to see. So what are your books about? So I have a children's book and I have a an adult's book. That sounded like I wrote porn. I did not. It's <laughs> <laughs> I have a children's book and a regular book. Yeah. This is not that kind of podcast. Porn. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wow, that is quite the spectrum. I told you I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> the first book that I wrote was the one for adults, and it's kind of more like a workbook. Like it talks about organization and then how you can implement it. It's only a digital book because how could I tell you not to clutter your life and then sell you something to clutter your life? So it, yeah, that's <laughs> right. People are like, do you have a, a hard copy? I'm like, no, read the room. So it's the workbook. I'm actually currently working on expanding the book because it's not that many pages, but it wasn't meant to be overwhelming because if you buy a book this big, you're very likely never going to start it. Mm-hmm. Like, so people are like, oh, I can start at this one. And then you know, only 50 pages or however many pages. And then I'm not as overwhelmed. So it's, that's what that one is. Yeah. <laughs> I order a book and it comes and it's big and I'm like, I'm never reading this. Yeah. Same, same. So I was like, I have to think like me, like I wouldn't read this. So why would someone else? And then the other one is a children's book that I actually, this may sound creepy, may not depending on what people believe, but I wrote it with my mom after she died. So my mom always wanted to, she was a teacher. She always wanted to write a book with me because I'm an artist as well. So we kind of had that idea always floating around, but it never happened. And then there was one night that I was asleep and I had a dream that my mom and I were sitting here at the kitchen table and she wrote the book and then I was sitting there illustrating it. And so as soon as I woke up, I just wrote everything that she had said in the dream. And then that's the book. Wow. Yeah, it was... So it wasn't technically written by me or my subconscious. I don't know, however you want to word it, but it's about a moose named Merle and he is tidy. And it just like, it's very simplistic and it just talks about the benefits of tidying. And I wanted to make it, well, my business is called Tidy Moose, but I wanted to make the book not human because I wanted to make sure it's inclusive for everyone. Like whether you are a white child reading this, a black child, you know, wherever you are in the world, a moose is a moose. And there's no racism with animals, right? And so, like, I wanted to make sure every child could appreciate and relate to this moose. And so it's very simplistic, but people seem to like it, so... Why did you choose the moose? Well, when I was a teacher, my classroom management technique was instead of shouting, was just to say the word moose very quietly. And then whatever the students were doing, they had to go like this. So they put down their pencil and then they look and they stop talking. So... Only the kid closest to me needs to hear me say it. And then it's a like a ripple effect. And so the long story short of it is when I was looking for a name, I thought, I wonder if I can implement that into it somehow. And that's how that came about. There's a longer version on my YouTube channel, but that's like, I try to make it a short story. It's never short. 
But that's the Coles Notes version right there for you. So you had this inspiration and then like, how did you get to the next step? How did you grow it? Because that's something that a lot of listeners struggle with that I hear is there's a lot of teachers actually that want to start their own business, but you know, they might do it for summer, but then they get too scared or they can't get those initial clients or the recurring clients. How are you able to cross that? The Ukrainian community has pros and cons. The cons are it's very gossipy and sometimes you feel like you're like so alone around a thousand people. The pros are when you need to get the word out about something, they do it. And so, yeah, and so I would not be here without the Ukrainian community and then my Instagram community, who is mostly strangers, right? So it started off with a friend of mine. I went to her house and I said, I'll organize for free. Just can I take pictures? I need it before and afters. And at that time, Instagram was a thing, but it wasn't what it is now. And so it was just growing it organically of like, here's before and afters. My my business is a visually based business. Instagram's free. Go put before and afters. People can see what you do. I look back now and I laugh because I was like, oh, I must use the, that yellowing filter, which is like makes me want to vomit now. And I'm I like, know. I wish I could change old photos on my Instagram, but it's kind of like it shows the growth, right? <laughs> like where I started and where I ended up. But I just started doing that. And then like she reposted that on hers. And then it was like friends of mine that I worked for will say, will recommend me in mommy groups. And it was word of mouth. Like anything in life, you can't start here right away. You have to start small. You have to go organize your aunt's house or your aunt's pantry. People just want to see what you're able to do. And that's kind of how I got that ball rolling. And it was word of mouth, people helping me out. I wouldn't be here without the community helping me out. I acknowledge that 1000%. So use whatever community it is that you've got. Like if you're in a bowling league, I ask all your bowling buddies. That's it's a great. It's a, it's a lot simpler than you have whatever communities you can immerse yourself in and join and support and get that support. But yeah, when I started, I did a lot of stuff for free. I yeah, just, you, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Just to well, get look where you are now. Your experience, the photos, the proof, yeah. the social proof, all of yeah. that. Yeah. Like speaking events, I did a ton of speaking events for free and I'll still do them sometimes if it's going to be a good uh, audience and networking opportunity, or I'm going to be able to really support, like I've got one coming up in January for a university because I know it'll provide them a lot of value what they've requested. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It also constantly helps you expand your network. And I try to tell them it's, yeah, it's like that snowball effect. Yeah. But often it's like the whole send the elevator back down thing too. Like, like once you get to a certain level, someone will call me and say, Hey, do you have tips? And I'll, I'll give them tips. Or like you said, the university, I speak at colleges all the time. They don't have the budget to pay me, but I think of like some kid in the room who wants to start a business and doesn't know how there might be something I say that will click, you know? So it's like no time is wasted unless you're just sitting doing nothing. Like anytime you're out there having a conversation with someone at the gym, or, you know, going and working at a coffee shop and chatting with a person next, like you have no idea what certain conversations It's actually, I was working at a Starbucks by my house and a man came up and saw the book when I was working on the illustrations for Tiny Moose, the one with the moose. Mm-hmm. And he funded the whole thing. He's like, I love this. And the guy just wrote me a check. And I was like, this is the craziest experience. I was like, is this inappropriate? Like, do I have to sleep with you? I don't understand how this works. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like there are some people who don't, do something without expecting something in return. But this was like, to this day, I still don't understand what all happened. But he was just some businessman who came in for a coffee and saw what I was doing. I didn't ignore him. He wasn't rude or anything. He wasn't like hitting on me. He it was just a conversation, but it was just like, he's like, I love what you're doing. I love your drive. And he wrote a check. And I was like, whoa, thank you. I was once eating at a sushi restaurant and I heard 
at the table next to me, they were talking about this big event that they had coming up and they weren't sure about the staffing agency and owning a staffing agency. Yeah, right? you're like, oh. I, I got up and I went to their table and interrupted their dinner. And anyways, ended up like, they were like, pull up a chair. We chatted. They ended up using us for this massive gala from there. His sister hired us. And from there, it was like a yeah. snowball, snowball. That's but the way I, to do it. And just if like, you do a good job for them. Yeah. Then they'll tell everyone. They'll scream it from the rooftops. You don't even need to advertise for yourself. So is the referrals. But it's funny because quite often, like at the beginning, because it's so nerve wracking, right? And so if you have like a period of time where you're not getting any customers, that's when people are like, I better go get that job, even though they don't want the job. They want the business so bad, but they're so quick, I find, to give up, to think that it's not going to work. And like finding that balance of pushing through, but also, not being crazy. <laughs> yeah, you need to know and you need to know yourself and you need to be able to read rooms. Like if I was getting zero business, I would say, okay, it's time to restructure. It's yes. time to make some pivots, but not time to stop entirely. Yeah. Like, think about it this way. If you're driving down the road and there you see that there's an accident ahead or there's some sort of construction, you're like, well, the road's closed. You're not just going to leave your car there, get out and jump off the bridge. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to Google, like, what are the other alternate routes? Like, I can still get from, I live in Niagara now. I'm not in Toronto anymore. I can still get from Niagara to Toronto by using a hundred different roads. But people seem to think that it's only the QEW that will get me there. That's it. And if I can't, then I'm done. And so I think that's the most important part because there have been so many times where I've sat on the floor crying. I'm like, why did I do this? Why did I leave my teaching benefits with job security, all these things? to come here and do what? Like, am I even helping people? And like, we are our own worst enemies. And so that's another reason I try to share the struggles so that people don't think like, oh, she has it so easy. You know, like people have no idea. You have no idea what people are struggling with. And you're very good about that too, about sharing things. And I think that's why you and I have connected so well. Like we're friends, but we don't know each other. <laughs> because like we're both open and willing to share that with people. And I think that's so important for anyone who's... It's really happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I struggle and I second guess myself all the time and I feel insecure and, you know, it's hard to show up. I find without the filters and because of the judgment and that I, that I place on myself. I mean, but, well, yeah, but I mean, the internet world can be cruel as well, but when you learn to, they're like, listen, who, and sometimes I just go to town and I troll the trolls back. And there was someone the other day who's like, Ivanka, like you're like borderline unprofessional right now with your, like your comments are amazing, but like you, you need to tone it down. I was like, okay, sorry. But it's like, you think of who is sending the nasty comments, mm -hmm. not someone like me to you. Like, I'm not sitting there like, oh, Emily, you should have combed your hair. You should have like, like, whatever. It's someone who's hurting, someone who is hurting, hurt people, hurt people. And so it's never about you. It's never that they're like, oh, they look at you and they're like, this woman is beautiful. She is successful. She is kind. She has a big, and I'm lacking in something. So I need to go attack her. Because she represents something in me that's hurting. And so when people realize that, and it's easier said than done some days, but I think the vulnerability is a huge piece. And I know, like, I admire you for yours so much because there are sometimes I open up my screen and you're like the first face that pops up and I like look in the mirror. I'm like, ah, shit. <laughs> no, but, but you're like, you're so open about it. And I'm like, okay, like, she's not this beautiful snot head who thinks she's awesome. You know, like your vulnerability is huge for any one of your, I'm sure I can speak for all of your followers. I find that TikTok is a very nasty place. I yeah, mean, it depends who's on your algorithm. Whenever I have a video do well there, I get a lot of like, holy forehead. <laughs> 
Jeez. But that's projecting. Like you are one of the most stunning people I've ever seen. And the fact that you're kind, like it makes it easier. (laughs) Because if you were mean, I'd be like, oh, yeah, nice forehead, loser. Why are you wearing a pink shirt? Like it's that's what people do, right? They're like, they feel threatened. And so they attack. And so I, for one, enjoy your vulnerability and your big heart because it like it emulates through your screen every time I open up my phone. When I see those comments in it, like in it, it like you feel something, right? It hurts no matter what. Sometimes I remember after my sister died, I was mean for a bit. Like I had that anger inside of me. And like, I remember seeing like sisters happy together and being like, screw you. Like, I hope you have a fight and never talk to each other again. Because I had that venom inside yeah. me hurting so bad. And it was coming out with this awful mean personality. So if I had seen like someone really happy on social media, I would have wanted to comment things like that at that point because I was suffering so badly. And also I was drinking a lot. So that would have taken the filter off. And so that I try to always remind myself of that, of that person's probably really going through something right now. Yeah. I mean, not that I need to tolerate it. I bless them and block them all the time. For sure. Or yeah, like you said, sometimes if I'm feeling spicy, I will respond to them and try to have a little fun with them, play dumb even. Yeah, that's kind of fun too. Yeah, and just kind of get them going back and forth and then they get really worked up sometimes. But, you know, they'll be like, what? Somebody the other day was like, what are you, a robot? You're saying the same thing over and over again or something. And I was like, what do you have against robots? (laughs) Yeah, so what? So what if I'm a robot? Yeah, it's like, well, you see where the future is going. I would be careful with what you say negatively about robots. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I don't know. Have you, did you see my AI portraits, my business portraits where they, I had like three hands coming? <laughs> it's so weird. I've been playing around with those. And yeah, I get like a random like arm from the side of the head. Yeah. But some, I saw some of yours, like some of yours, I was like, oh, wow. They, they looked like you. Mine looked nothing like me. Yeah. Some of them are good. Some of them are scary. Yeah. Um, it would be nice to get have them nail it down just so that we don't have to do shit. Wash our hair. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I try. It's funny because when I took, because, you know, I have to send in photos of yourself for them to like copy. Yeah. I clearly was not, I did not have my hair washed. So in every one of the ones that they did of me, I had some sort of headpiece because they were like, ah, how do we block the grease? I don't even, AI doesn't even know how to help me on non-hair wash day. <laughs> As you can see by my slicked back hair, I'm not one to style. Uh, It's working for you. All right. So where do people find more about you? Where do they follow you? Where do they contact you? All those good things. Um, Well, my website has a lot of the things. So that's just tidymoose.com. But most of what you'll see of me is on my Instagram. That's kind of where I built that little community and try to keep that going there. That's where I share most of my things. I have TikTok as well. I don't have Twitter anymore because... I just don't like that man. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'd say mostly Instagram and Instagram is just at Tidy Moose. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. You are just such a powerful force and keep going, keep spreading your message and putting it out there because I see you and I just adore you. Right back at you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we finally got to have this in-person chat. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. 